invite you into this message series. Each year as we lead into Christmas, really we, um, we take a look at some different aspects of, of who Jesus is. And this year, we've been looking at the three gifts that the wise men laid at the feet of Jesus. And for a lot of us during Christmas, the three wise men are relegated to the song, We Three Kings, and, you know, those big plastic uh, kings, you know, with the little nightlight underneath them that we see in front lawns of people. And if we're not careful, we can just skip, skim over the, the story of Jesus and, and the significance of the gifts that these kings laid at the feet of Jesus. And each week, the first week, we started out looking at the gift of frankincense, which represented the divinity of Jesus, that he was fully God. And I'm grateful that we serve a God of miracles and that we continue to serve a God of miracles. And I'm here to proclaim to you, even on this Christmas Eve, if you're here tonight and you need a miracle in your life, that the divinity of Jesus means the power of God in and through your life working for you. And the next week we looked at the gift of myrrh. It was one of my favorites. Loved preaching on that because the gift of myrrh, um, although it may sound morbid, it, it was a special ointment and oil that they would use to embalm people when they died. And even though that does sound tragic, what it really pointed to was the human side of Jesus. That part of what we celebrate on Christmas is the, it's called the incarnation, which means God took on flesh, that he wasn't just divine, he wasn't just mighty God, but he was a human being just like you and me. And the significance of that is that he understands us. The Bible says we don't have a high priest that can't understand us, but he was tempted in every way that we were. And I love that about Jesus, that Jesus went through pain, he suffered, he was a man of suffering. He understands what it means to go through loss and he even understands what it means to go through challenges and family relationships and dynamic. His family thought he was crazy. They kind of disowned him. And he would be separated from the life of God on the cross. And, and I want you to know tonight that if you're here and you're wondering where God is in the midst of what you're going through, that God gets you. He's Emmanuel, God with you. And then tonight on Christmas Eve, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the gift of gold. Now gold back in Jesus' day is a little bit different than gold today in that Oftentimes, we're where we will wear gold jewelry, a gold necklace, a gold ring. Um, shoot, our whole currency and economy is supposed to be backed up by gold bars somewhere in Fort Knox, and I haven't seen them, but I'm, I'm just guessing they're there and hoping they're not continuing just to print money. But our whole currency and financial well-being is predicated on, on gold backing up our currency. So there's a lot of weight and value that comes with this gold. In fact, back in Jesus' day, it was very uncommon to have gold because of its great, enormous value. And uh, yet the wise men would lay the gift of gold at Jesus' feet. And I could just imagine the shepherds and everybody, when they saw them lay the gift of gold at Jesus' feet in the room, just like this <gasps> gasp because of how valuable gold was. In fact, gold was only was only set aside for royalty or nobility. We'll get into that in a little minute. But I want to read to you the account in Matthew chapter 2 of these wise men and the gifts that they laid at Jesus' feet. Let me set this up for you a little bit. The wise men, they came from a great distance and they, they saw the star and they followed the star 
and they were looking for the king of kings. They weren't just looking for a baby. They were looking for someone that they would knew someday would be king of kings and lord of lords. And they brought these gifts from afar and they came to King Herod, who was the Roman king of the province at the time. And they told him, where can we find this, this king? And, and Herod, kind of playing along, uh, also being a little bit nervous because he felt his, his rulership and kingship would, would be threatened by this king. That he kind of tried to trick the wise men and said, hey, when you find him, come back and let me know so I could go and worship him. But really what he wanted to do is he wanted to take out Jesus because he would be a threat to his rulership and authority and kingship. And what a lot of people didn't understand about Jesus is even though he would come as a baby and ultimately he would be a king, that his kingdom is much different than the kingdoms of this world. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 2. We'll have the verses for you so you can read along. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says this, After they heard the king, meaning King Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again for the gift of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you. Your presence is here. I pray right now. God, we give you these moments together on this Christmas Eve. And just like the wise men, we don't have a lot of gold, gold or frankincense or myrrh to give you. God, what we do have to give, we open our hearts to you tonight. We give you our adoration. We give you our worship. We give you our time. We ask that you come and speak to us once again through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about this gift of gold. And really, when you, um, when you think about it, uh, the gifts that the wise men give, we're on Christmas Eve, and I don't know how many of you are Christmas Eve gift givers. If I had a guess, being that you're at the later service, many of you are Christmas Day gift givers, or maybe a combination of both. The more I talk to people, the more it's kind of like a hybrid, you know. Some give gifts on Christmas Eve, some gifts, some give on Christmas Day. Uh, if you have broken families, oftentimes you mix it up a little. One family on Christmas Eve, one family on Christmas Day. That's kind of how I grew up and how I rolled. So they both have significance. But, you know, either tonight or tomorrow, you're going to gather around and you're going to remember, hopefully, the reason why we celebrate the season. Um, you're going to look at a tree, beautifully decorated with the presents all underneath. But the reality is, is the whole reason that we celebrate this is because the greatest gift wasn't under a tree, but hung on a tree. And he gave his life on the cross for you and for me. See, the whole reason we celebrate the birth of a baby is not because of the baby, but because of what his life would represent as he grew up and he walked among the people. And the Bible says that he grew in favor and stature with men and with God. And he would come to show us what good God looked like because for over 400 years, there was silence in the heavens and people forgot who God was and what he looked like. And Jesus came to remind us and to show us what God looked like. And really the title of my message tonight as, as we consider the gift of gold that the wise men gave Jesus, 
You have to understand gold is the most precious of metals. And it represented royalty, and only nobility would have gold or carry gold. And, and so when they laid the gift of gold at the feet of Jesus, they were saying that this baby has significance like no other. That's, that he's not just a baby in a manger, that someday he would be the king of kings and he would be the lord of lords. And they actually bowed down and they worshipped him as a king, even though he was a child. And so the title of my message to you tonight that I want to talk to you about is that he was a good king. He's a good king. I don't know about you, but when I think about kings, in fact, even biblically speaking, when you look at the history of the Bible, God warned Israel because Israel wanted a king. They wanted somebody over them. And God was their king. And the way he set the whole thing up is God wanted to be their king. He wanted to be their God. But they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world. So they asked God to give them a king. And finally, he, he said, hey, you want it? Here you go. Have a king and find out why you know, the, you're, you're encroaching on dangerous territory. Because when you look at the history of kings, it's rare to find a good king. In fact, probably our best example of a good king in the Bible is King David. And even he had his flaws. And he sinned and he fell short as a king many, many times and as a father. He was anything but perfect. But we, tonight, we're celebrating, we're here to celebrate a perfect king, but not just a perfect king, a good king. When I think that I was pondering about Jesus as king, I was thinking about some attributes that make a king good. And, and what makes a king good versus what makes a king, you know, evil. And a lot of times when I think about kings, I think about kings who are domineering. I think about kings who, you know, have a little, you know, like power kind of gets to their head a little bit. They like the control. They like power. They're looking for their legacy to be established on the earth. You know, it's all about them. I get pictures of a king sitting in a big gold throne, you know, with a big crown and a big flowing robe and having, you know, servants feed him grapes and, you know, be at his every beck and call and every wish and, but doesn't care a whole lot about the people. When I think about Jesus as king, this isn't a earthly kind of king. In fact, when Pilate would come to him, when he was being charged with uh, proclaiming to be a king, Pilate was trying to find fault with him and he would straight up ask him, are you a king like they say you are? And he said, you said it. But he said, take note, Pilate, I'm not just a king. He says, I have a different kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I could call on legions, thousands, millions of angels that be at my disposal and rescue me. And I thought about that and pondered that and thinking about how uh, true kingship and true power sometimes is not exercising it. That's true authority. That's true power. And Jesus, knowing his assignment that he would have to go to the cross and give his life for the people that he loves so that he could not only give his life on the cross, but he would, he would be brutally murdered, but he would be buried, and then three days later he would rise again. And he would walk the earth for 40 days before he would ascend into heaven. And the Bible says that right now he's seated at the right hand of God. And he is a good king because he isn't just sitting up there like a lot of us think he is, just with his arms crossed, just going. Mm -hmm. Like just being so disappointed with us, frustrated with us thinking that God is, is some distant God up in ethereal in the clouds somewhere with fat cherubs playing and all these things. But no, 
The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for you and me. That means that he is praying for you right now. He prayed just like we prayed for you before you even came tonight. You have a God that loves you. He's a good king and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's praying for you even right now as we are gathering together to celebrate his life. And so I want to uh, I want to ponder a couple of when I thought about what, it, what are the attributes of a good king, there, there's many that came to mind, but two that really stuck out. And, and, and when I think about Jesus as king, we don't often think of him as king like that. But how many of you know that in the Old Testament, there were many prophets that would prophesy or they would predict and talk about uh, the coming Messiah and who Jesus would be? In fact, Isaiah 53 is commonly uh, quoted around Christmas time about some of the names of Jesus and how he would be born and how he would come as the Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, all these things that uh, we ponder about Jesus. And yet there's a prophet named Zechariah that would prophesy about the coming King Jesus. And I want to read this to you, uh, the prophecy in the account in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 9 through 12. It says this, and the whole title of this passage is The Coming of Zion's King. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. And now the next verse kind of throws us off because we don't normally think of kings coming on a donkey or a foal. We think of coming, coming like generals would come on a stallion, a conquering king, a general king. And that's exactly how the religious leaders thought Jesus would come in the day, and because of it, they missed his coming. And I pray that we don't miss his coming. It says, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, in other words, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. In verse 10, he says, this is the result of what this king will do. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, and I believe this is a prophetic declaration over a lot of us here today on this Christmas Eve, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you. Now let me pause there for a second and help us understand because a lot of us don't understand the significance of what Zechariah is writing. And it's because we don't understand the significance of covenant. Covenant in the Bible was the highest form of relationship and could only be broken by somebody losing their life. It was basically a blood agreement between two people that if one of them broke it, the other would have to sacrifice their lives for it. And so what God is saying here, it says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, which he's speaking to the coming king who would give his life as a ransom for many on the cross, and we would have redemption through his blood. This is the kind of covenant that he's speaking of. He says, and this is the result of Jesus giving himself for us on the cross. I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Now, I'm out. now you may not think of that but back in the day their wells were called cisterns and when a well would dry up it meant people's lives would die like you would scramble you would have to move to another city you would have to find water whole cities were built around wells whole cities were built around cisterns when the well ran out life stopped 
everything stopped. Now fast forward to today, for many of us, maybe this Christmas Eve, you're feeling a little spiritually dry. Maybe you feel like you've been running on empty for a while, man, you just came in running on fumes tonight and you're struggling. You feel like, man, I'm just dry inside. I'm going through the motions, but I really don't have that, that joy. I don't have that life. Yeah, I'm around people, but inside I kind of feel lonely. Well, the king that we serve is a good king. And he says this, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. In other words, he says, I will come and I will rescue you out of that place. And I will return you to your fortress in verse 12. Now, fortress is a place of protection. The idea is that you've come underneath or outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ under his rule, under his reign, under his kingship. And whenever we do that, we put ourselves in danger. Because you have to understand something about a good king. A good king provides. And look what he says, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. I love that line. I love that, yeah, we may be going through some things, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, you're not just a prisoner of those things, you're a prisoner of hope. Which means I've got hope inside of me that even though I might feel dry, even though I might feel stuck, I've got a little bit of hope inside because Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And even now, to finish out verse 12, even now I announce to you that I will restore twice as much to you. I believe this is a prophetic declaration over many of us that even sometimes the things that we've lost when we come under the Lordship and the Kingship of Jesus, that he will even restore to us the things that we lost. Can somebody say amen? So two things that I want us to hone in on in the little time that we have left together. The first one is this, a good king provides. A good king provides. Now, in, in the Bible, oftentimes God would give himself names, i.e. when God showed up in the middle of a desert in the burning bush and spoke to Moses, and, and Moses, um, he was tasked with going to free God's people out of slavery. And Moses is a, kind of a type and shadow. I know this is getting into the deep end of the pool, but he was really a type of, of, of the Christ, of Jesus in the future. But uh, God would show up in the burning bush to Moses, and when Moses says, hey, I'm a nobody, and you're telling me to go and tell Pharaoh to free my people, he's like, I got no power to do that. I've got no authority to do that. Whose name am I going to go in? And you have to understand something. Back then, names had carried more meaning and significance than they do today. A name meant something. Your name was your reputation. Your name was your character. Your name represented what, uh, what kind of chops you have. And so Moses says, I ain't nobody, and you're telling me to go tell Pharaoh this. Who should I tell him sent me? And, and God gives him the greatest mic drop ever. He says, you just go tell him I am sent you. I don't need a name. I am who I am. And all you need to tell him is I am sent me and I will free my people. And so you know the story there. But oftentimes in, in the Bible, God would give, it, give himself some names declaring to us the character and nature of who he is to us. But then there were times where people would have an experience or an encounter personally with God and through their relationship or through that experience or encounter they would attribute a name to God out of that experience or encounter or the relationship. And so when, when we talk about Jesus as a good king, one of the names that was attributed to God in the Bible is the name Jehovah Jireh, which means 
God as my provider. And, and really, this, this uh, name comes from Abraham when, when God tells him to go up to the mountain, Mount Moriah, and sacrifice his son. And, uh, and it's his only son. And it was the gift of God as a promise. And yet, God then asked him to give him back to him and sacrifice him on the altar. And if you know the story, Abraham, he, he goes to raise the knife and, and make the sacrifice. And God says, Abraham, stop. And he stops and he sees out of the corner of his eye a ram in the thicket. And through that encounter with God, he learns something about God. That when you obey him and put him first as king of kings and lord of lords in your life, now you're coming into the provision of the king. Now you're coming in the authority of God over your life. And when you do that, he becomes your Jehovah Jireh, which means that he will provide for you. And in that moment, Abraham learned something about God, that when you follow him wholeheartedly, he's going to provide for you, which he did. And we have to understand something. Yeah, give him praise for that. That's good. What we have to understand, there's a couple of ways that I believe God provides for us, and I'm just going to give you a few of them. One of them, one of the names for God is Prince of Peace or El Sh uh, um, uh, Jehovah Shalom, which means God is my peace. And uh, we just read in Zechariah 9.10, it says that he, talking of the coming King Jesus, he will proclaim peace to the nations. And how many of you know right now we're living in a world where nations are at war? We're looking at the state of our world ending in 2023, going into 2024. There's wars happening in Ukraine. There's wars happening in Israel. There's rumors of wars all throughout. Even in our own nation, we may not be at war, but we're having some internal wars. We're having some racial tension. We're experiencing religious tension. We're experiencing political tension. And, and this country that we thought we knew once, even for a lot of us, we're like, man, what is happening even in, in America right now? And, and who are we as a nation? And, and I feel like um, God is wanting in the midst of that. Many of us underline there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of anxiety that we feel looking at the state of our world right now in our country. There's a lot of fear happening. Um, and, and in the midst of it, I believe God is still proclaiming peace over the nations. And one of the things that we celebrate as the name is we come under the rule and authority of Christ. We come under the Prince of Peace. I remember um, a time in my life where I was really struggling with anxiety. So much so there was one Christmas where I was having panic attacks. And if you've ever experienced a panic attack, you know it's no fun. And I was really wrestling internally with some anxiety. And I was a follower of Jesus, but somehow I was just experiencing this. And that's why, you know, sometimes we think we have to be perfect following Christ and we can't experience these things in life. And yet we go through the reality of things like that sometimes. And I remember one Christmas in particular where I was really wrestling with anxiety. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was, I don't know if it was a night terror, just a, a moment of, of, of heightened anxiety. But my wife was asleep next to me. It was in the middle of the night. And I just, I just popped out of bed and my heart is racing. I'm sweating. Um, my breathing begins to get fast. And I just literally tore out of my room and ran out to the front porch and just put my hands on my knees and just like trying to get some air, trying to control my breathing and, and trying to cool off because I'm sweating. And it's in the middle of Christmas season. And I'm like, man, what is, what is wrong with me? What is going on inside of me that in the middle of this joyous season where I'm supposed to be experiencing peace and joy and all these things, why am I going through this right now? And I remember um, 
after just kind of catching my breath a little bit, I remember it was, a, it was a pretty clear night, some clouds in the sky, but I looked up in the sky and I could see some stars. And I could see the moon, kind of like a night if you were able to see the, the night sky last night, just beautiful. And I remember thinking about the stars and I looked up and I just, I was reminded of when Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and are full of heavy burdens and I will give you rest for your souls. And I remember in that moment, I just cried out to God and said, Jesus, I need you to be my Prince of Peace right now. I don't know what's going on inside of me, but I remember all of a sudden, I just felt the presence of God come on me and I felt waves of peace one after another, just encouraging my soul. And I love that when we call on the name of God, when we surrender to his lordship in our life and we come under his name and his rule and his authority as Prince of Peace, that, that we can call on his name and he could bring us peace. Another thing that, um, the way that God provides as a good king is God provides us joy. Man, I, I'll tell you what, I know for a lot of us, the Christmas season, some of us just are ready for it to be over. Like we love it, but then there's another part of us that, man, I'm so busy, I'm stressed out, I'm running around like crazy, and I'm just ready for, you know, the Christmas season to be over. And yet, in the middle of it, one of the things that we celebrate is this thing called joy. But if we're going to be honest, a lot of us don't really have it. We put on a smile on our face, we come to church, we go through the motions, but deep inside, the last thing that we feel is joy. In fact, some of us, the opposite. Maybe you're struggling right now. And yet Jesus said in, in John 15, 11, he said, I've told you all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying, when you come to me as king of kings, will you put me on the throne of your heart? You're not just putting me on the throne of your heart. You're putting the prince of peace on the throne of your heart. But you're also, when, when the spirit of God is alive inside of you, you have the very joy of Jesus living inside of you that you can tap into at any moment. I think it's interesting, you know, uh, over the last couple of days, in fact, even this morning, getting ready for these services and everything. And, you know, we're trying to balance out and trying to juggle our personal family life and, and, and leading our church and all those things. And that could be stressful. And even this morning, I found myself getting ready and being a little grumpy, having a little bad attitude. And I had to kind of preach to myself and my own soul and just say, hey, what, what are you doing, Lance? Like, come on, this is the time, this is the time to be joyful. How many of you know that joy is different than happiness? That the world offers happiness when all the circumstances, we think that if all the circumstances in our life align the right way, we got plenty of money in the bank, all our relationships are perfect, and I'm going to be happy. And let me tell you, don't buy into the lie of happiness because Jesus offers us joy, and joy supersedes happiness, which means that you could be going through something right now. Maybe you're wrestling, dealing with a health issue. Maybe you got cancer. Maybe you lost someone you love. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or your finances. And in the middle of it, you can still have the joy of Jesus. And joy is a choice. The other thing that God does is he gives us wisdom. He provides wisdom for us. Proverbs 2, 6 says this, for the Lord gives wisdom from the mouth, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And some of you going into 2024, maybe you got some decisions that you need to make for your life. And maybe you need some wisdom. Maybe you need some direction. And when we come under the lordship of Jesus as a good king who provides for us, he'll provide wisdom. The last thing that I want us to get is a good king 
not only provides for us, not only cares about the well-being and the welfare of the people that are under his rule and reign, but a good king protects us. A good king protects us. So one of the names for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Nisi, which means that the Lord is our banner, that he's a mighty warrior, and that he gives us victory. Uh, another way to put it is, and we sing this sometimes in our worship songs, that he's the one who fights our battles. And, and you might not understand that idea of the Lord, Jehovah Nisi being the Lord is my banner. What does that mean? What's, what's a banner? Well, you wouldn't get that unless you understood the culture of the day and how they fought battles. And what would happen is two, two nations would oppose one another in war and they would have battle lines and, and they would be across from each other like in a valley. And the first people to go out to war for Israel would be the worship team. It would be people that would praise God. But even before that, they would have one person that would carry out what they would call a banner. And a banner was this large pole with a flag on it. And you could tell what nation uh, was coming against you by their banner or by their flag. Each banner or flag would have the colors of that nation. It would have the logo on that nation. And so when... Uh, when the tribe of Judah would be the first ones to go out to battle, they'd raise up the, the flag, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and what it represented was they weren't coming out in their own strength and their own ability to win the battle. What they recognized is when they raised the banner, when they raised the flag of Jehovah Nisi, God that uh, fights my battles, it says we're under the rulership and the kingship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord of the host of angels armies. You remember when David came at Goliath, a seemingly impossible battle that nobody and everybody was scared to fight this giant. And David comes out and he recognized, he says, hey, I'm not coming at you in my own strength and my own ability to win this battle. He says, I come at you, not with a sword, not with a spear, not with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of Jehovah Nisi, the Lord God, the host of angel armies. He understood when you put yourself on the authority of Jehovah Nisi, you don't have to be alone fighting your battles. You might be here tonight. You might be struggling like I did with anxiety. Maybe you're wrestling with depression. Maybe you've got a sin that you just can't seem to break and the guilt and the shame and the separation that you feel from God. And you're wondering, man, am I ever going to win this battle? And I would say to you that maybe just like I did, because this is what, this is what the Lord showed me through my season of fighting depression. One day he said, you haven't surrendered all of you to me. He said, there's still areas in your life, Lance, that you're not fully, I'm not fully Lord over. In other words, you want me to be the Lord of your life, but you still want to sit on the throne and make decisions and live how you want to live. And if you would just come under my authority and the authority of my word, and you would follow me and surrender to me, I'll come in and I'll be your Jehovah Nisi. I'll be the God who fights your battles for you. A good king fights your battles for you. A good king protects you. A good king rescues you. You see, where the name Jehovah Nisi came from, again, it was from a, 
a personal experience of, of Moses and he had some enemies coming at him. They were called the Malachites. These were common enemies of Israel and they were coming to fight him once again. And, and Moses looked at his army and looked at their army and said, man, there is no way we can win this fight. And God says, take courage because I'm the God that brings victory to those who are weak and small. He says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. He says, as the army goes out to fight your enemies, he's like, I want you to raise your rod. His rod represented the banner, represented the power and authority of his God, God of Israel's armies. He said, and when he raised that banner, when he raised that rod, it represented the power of God. And when he did that, Israel would win the battle. But you could imagine as the battle would rage on for hours after hour, his arm would get a little tired. And as he dropped his arm, the enemy started to win when he lowered that banner. And this is the beautiful part. This is a beautiful picture of the church and why you need people to come around side of you and help you in your spiritual life. Two godly men named his brother Aaron and a man named Hur came alongside of him and lifted up his arms so that the rod would stay steady. And as it stayed steady, God brought victory to Israel. And I'm wondering how many of us, what we have to understand is that, you know, we can't just live our life however we want. And then when we get in trouble, throw up a quick prayer to God and, you know, hope he protects us. No, God is saying that when you come under my banner, when you come under my banner, and by the way, it says in Song of Solomon that his banner over you is called love. It's his love that protects you. It's his love that guards your heart. It's his love that gives you confidence to come to him as a good king who's gonna accept you. See, in closing Colossians chapter one, if you guys can put that verse up on the screen. Colossians chapter one says this. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what you have to understand about that is redemption means a price paid or a ransom paid to somebody who's imprisoned. And I think about Zechariah prophesying that someday King Jesus would be the one to pay a ransom for you and for me with final breath. He would from the cross say, it is finished. And actually the original language means it's paid in full. In other words, we don't just celebrate a baby on Christmas. We celebrate a king who's a good king that would come and he would live a sinless life and he would experience all the pain that we would as a human being, yet all the divinity of mighty God and he would live a sinless, perfect life so that he could go to the cross as you, for you, die in your place. I deserve that cross. I deserve that punishment. I deserve that separation from God and so did you because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm so grateful that we serve a king 
that was willing to pay the price to ransom you and me. And this is what he does. He pulls you, he takes you, he takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and he translates you or transforms you into the kingdom of light. In a moment, we're about to light some candles and sing a final song. But before we do that, I want you to just close your eyes. As we're here on this Christmas Eve, I don't want to take for granted that there might be some of us here or maybe some of us watching online that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. The real question of Christmas is, is Jesus king to you? Or is he just a nice baby that we celebrate and, you know, a guy that just did some good things with his life? But the gift of gold reminds us that he's either king of kings or lord of lords or he's nothing at all. So the question is, have you been trying to live life on your own apart from his, his rule and his reign in your life, his provision for you? I feel like we're in a society that there's an epidemic of loneliness. And oftentimes during the Christmas season, that can get accentuated, that we could do all the parties, do all the things, come to a service like this, and yet feel lonely inside. And part of the reason is when we try to do life apart from God, we are lonely because it's all on us. But when you surrender your life to God and like the the wise men that opened up the treasure of gifts, if we'll open up the treasure of our heart and say, God, I treasure you above all else and I'm opening up my heart to you and my life to you and I want you to be the king of my heart. And when you make that decision in that moment, God takes you out of that kingdom of darkness and he translates you into the kingdom of his son whom he loves and he's a good king and he gives good gifts. So I want to ask you with every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you want to surrender your life to Jesus and experience the greatest gift you'll ever get to receive, and here's the thing about a gift, you could either ignore it or you could receive it. And when you receive it, you receive the benefits of it. And if you're here tonight and you would say, Pastor Lance, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to, I want to follow him. I want him, him to be the king of my heart. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up. God bless you. You're back. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. See your hand. Precious. There's another group of people that I want to address. Some of you, maybe you made that decision a long time ago and you prayed and you invited Jesus into your life, but you've never made him Lord. Maybe you, uh, you've been wandering away from God. You know he has a call on your life. You know his hand is upon you. But you're making your own decisions for your life apart from him. It's not working out so good. God brought you here tonight to hear this message so that you could surrender once again to him and recommit your life to Jesus and get back on track with his plan and purpose for your life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Say, I want to recommit my life to Christ. 
maybe you're here and you've just been following him, but there's an area of your life that you know you're not allowing him to be Lord over. I want to invite you even into just a personal moment for you this Christmas to just take a moment and to surrender that area of your life to Jesus and his lordship. For those of you who raise your hand, I would like us all to just pray this prayer together. Would you pray with me nice and loud? Jesus, thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Tonight, I declare I believe in you, that you are the Son of God, that you died as me, for me. Would you forgive me of my sin, wash me clean, and make me new? I surrender my life to you, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.